Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stand with me now. It's good to see you this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful to be here, to love you, and to exalt you, and hear your word. Speak to us by your Holy Spirit. We'll give you praise and glory in Jesus' holy name. Amen. You may be seated. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here today. What an incredible time of worship and praise we've had this morning. Amen. Well, we've been on a series called Family Matters, and uh, as you have seen on the video, and uh, I'm sure in your own life, it's difficult being married and having a family. It's not for the faint of heart, right? It is a, a tough job. I, I brought three stories that are true stories that kind of identify with what family's like. Uh, one, one wife said, my housekeeping challenged husband hollered from the laundry room, honey, I want to wash my sweatshirt. What setting do I put the washer on? She said, it depends. Look on the back of the shirt and find out what, what you need. And what does it say? And he hollered back. It says, University of Oklahoma. <laughs> That's challenging. Another one, and this is one of my favorite, a couple went to Lamaze class. Carrie and I went through Lamaze class. Wasn't the favorite thing for me to ever do. How many of you guys ever went through Lamaze class? Bless your heart. So they're going through the husbands and the, um, the instructor, the facilitator, which is a nurse, and she works in recovery, um, um, telling them how to have, you know, babies. And she strapped a 20-pound uh, sandbag on the front of the men and said, this is what it feels like for your wife to be pregnant. And the, one guy said, uh, well, it doesn't feel that bad to me. And she threw the pin down on the floor and said, pick that up. So you mean pick that up like my wife pregnant, pick it up? And she said, exactly. And he turned his wife and said, honey, pick that up for me. <laughs> That's what it's like when you're pregnant, right? And, and here's the, the last one. Uh, one of the friends of the wife said, I've noticed your husband's been losing some weight lately. Is there a secret to help him lose weight? And she said, well, this is what I've been doing. I've been putting my teenage son's underwear in his drawer, and so he doesn't know that, so he's trying to lose weight now to fit in those underwear. <laughs> That's just sneaky. Now, all of us here, including Carrie and I, have gone through some difficult times in marriage. And if you were here last week, how many of you were here last week? How many of you survived that sermon? Hang on, and you can survive this one. Well, last week we talked about three things. You know, the Bible's very clear. A man shall leave his father and mother, shall cling to his wife, and they too shall become one flesh. So we talked about leaving, which is priority. You, you make your wife the priority. Now she's the new priority, and the husband is the new priority for you outside of God. And then there's the cleaving, which means pursuing and bonding. And when you were dating, you were pursuing, weren't you? I mean, Carrie and I were. I mean, I, were, I was pursuing her. I don't know how much she pursued me, but I, I pursued her. And so we, we should continue that even after we're married. 
And then the last one I talked about was enjoying. How many remember that part, the enjoying part? And so the enjoying part is trying to meet one another's needs, and certainly we can do that. Now I want to start at a kind of a peculiar place, and we've been there before. John chapter 4, if you'd like to turn there, you can. We're going to begin at verse number 4, but let me get you the background, the setting. Jesus is leaving Judea. He's going to, Samaria, to Galilee, and he makes a statement, I need to go through Samaria. And most of you know the story. So instead of going in a direct path from Judea to Galilee, he said, I need to go through Samaria. Verse 5, so he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour, or it was noontime. One of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? The Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now it's interesting, the woman's coming at noontime, uh, no other women with her at noontime. And so it tells us a couple of things. Number one, she's not accepted with the other women. Most of the women would come early in the morning and the evening and get the water for the daily uh, activities. She's coming at noon. And so Jesus is having a dialogue with her. And it's interesting, this revelation that's going on in this woman's life. Now watch this. She identifies Jesus first as a man, sir. Then as a Jew, because she says the Jews have no, you know, dealings with Samaritans. And then he begins to tell some things about her life. And then she says, you must be a prophet, number three. And then lastly, she says, he's the Messiah. So there's this ongoing revelation that she's having in her own life. Now, Jesus reveals some things about her, and how many of you know he already knew everything about her? He's God in the flesh. So pick it up, if you will, and there's a reason, I think, in our understanding why he said, I need to go through Samaria. Why would he say, I need to go through Samaria? I think two reasons. The first one is, here's the people who are rejected and on the outside looking in. They've intermingled and married over the years. So the other Jews didn't think they were really pure enough to be called Jews. So they were outcasts and they were rejected. So not only did he come to a rejected group of people, he came to a rejected individual. Now think about this because in the next verse, there is a woman here that is not only rejected, but I think she is looking for something that she'll not find. In verse 16, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right, saying I have no husband. You've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. So she's had five husbands. She's living with the person now. Could it be she's looking for a man to fulfill something in her life that no man can fulfill? She's looking for someone to fulfill something in her life that no one can fulfill. You see, you're threefold in nature. You're created in the image of God and your body, soul, and spirit. And no one can fill that spiritual void in your life except Jesus Christ. Another man can't do it. Another woman can't do it. You see, that spiritual hole, that vacuum that only God can fill, if you're looking for your mate or another person to fill that void, let me tell you, you're looking in all the wrong places. 
It's only Jesus who can fill that void. Can I hear an amen? So we can participate in the spiritual journey together. We can partner together. We can arrive at the same destination after death or the rapture. Hopefully that's, we're going to go together. That's the case. But that worshipful aspect, that spiritual aspect can only be found through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So if you're looking for someone to fill that, Listen, that's not going to happen. And I think this woman had a void in her life. She's gone through five men. She's on her six, and she's still unfulfilled. And Jesus is giving her the key for that fulfillment. Now, it doesn't mean that we can't do something together because we can, because we can meet the physical needs and the emotional needs, even though we can't meet the spiritual need, we can partner together. And what does that look like, Pastor? Well, let me give you just a few things. We can worship together. That means we can attend together. We can study together. We can pray together. We can believe together. And I don't know if you do this as a couple, but if you don't, you should. Carrie and I pray together when we eat. Uh, when we go on a trip, we hold hands before we pull out of the driveway many times. And, and we pray that we would have a safe trip, especially if she's driving. Um, my wife is a speedster, I'm just going to tell you. you. You've heard me say when the boys were small, if they wanted to get somewhere in the hurry, they'd say, Dad, let Mom drive. And, uh, and, and she, knows how to, she knows how to push the pedal. She can move down the road. Folks, do you know men and women are just different? And if you're trying to make your spouse like you, you're making a big mistake. I'm just telling you, if you're trying to make your spouse just like you, you're making a big mistake. Because it's those differences that really attract each other. I was in the shower this morning thinking about our time together. And uh, so I look around the shower. We, we have this little cubby hole, this inset in the back of our shower. So I've been to begin to count how many products Carrie has in this space. And she probably doesn't know, but this morning I know. She has 11 tubes and bottles and containers. I have two. Soap and shampoo. If the shampoo goes out, I'll wash my hair with soap. Any man ever done that before? Y'all are spiritual and holy. And then I stepped out of the shower, and she has another container there outside the shower, and there were nine products there for beauty outside the shower. We're not even talking about to her vanity side where her sink is. So now we're, we're 11 in the shower, nine outside the shower, and there's innumerable things on her side. But I appreciate that because she's the most beautiful woman I know. And so therefore, we need to say, I, I'm different than you. And I'm not like you, but I appreciate you, and hopefully you appreciate the differences that, that I have. And so the Bible has a lot to say about marriage and relationship. So turn, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 5, and let's just look at a couple of things because it's going to speak to us about the wife and also the husband. So here's the wives. Wives, are you ready? If you can't say amen, say oh me. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, here he's addressing the husbands. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. 
Verse 28, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Verse 31, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast, cleave to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. Verse 32, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And you would think a person who loves the Lord and who is filled with the Holy Spirit would be better at this than someone who's not. And that's really true. If we love the Lord and we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we should be better at this relation thing and this marriage thing than just the guy off the street. Okay, some of you don't believe that, but let me say that again. We should be better at this than the guy off the street. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 the Word of God tells about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things there is no law. Can you imagine that you would ever need self-control in marriage? I shared with someone in, in between the services this morning, I was listening to someone talk about Joyce Meyer. And she said that she was uh, telling her husband, Dave, how to drive. And she was on him, turn here, you're going too fast. And, and said, I was on him like for five, ten minutes. And said, so the Lord spoke to me and said, can't you just shut up? <laughs> Wives, how many of you know it's okay to let your husband fail every once in a while? Just let him get lost. I remember one time Karen and I was looking for a Starbucks. So we had the GPS, you know, we were, were having us telling us the direction. And I'm following the directions to a T. No Starbucks. And Carrie said, you must be, I said, turn her off. And this is what she said. You're upset because a woman's giving you directions. <laughs> and I said, no, I'm not. <laughs> but sometimes you just have to let someone fail. Just, just let them go. And you know, uh, the reason she was helping me because we're going to Starbucks. Somebody say amen. So can, can you imagine you need love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control in your marriage? But, but now you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Guess what? Now you have the fruit of the Spirit to let flow in your relationship and, and in your marriage. And, and we need those things. And as partners... We can meet the needs of that person that we're married to. If you were here last week, we talked about some of the needs of a man. A man needs honor and respect. Number one, he needs sex. He needs to feel a sense of productivity and accomplishment, his work. That's why if you ever ask a man, tell me about yourself. You know what? A man 99% of the time will tell you, this is what I do. This is where I work, this is my vocation, this is my place, this is my employment. Why? We're, we're really tied to what we do, our accomplishment, our work. It's just the way it is. But you do know that women have needs too, gentlemen. So, gentlemen, can I share with you three needs of a woman today in, in the time I have? How many of you would just listen up for a while? And uh, ladies, how many of you would cheer the preacher on if he's on target? Okay, now, the first need of a woman is security. And we're gonna lump a lot of things in just these three. A woman needs security. I need to be secure, secure that you're prioritizing me back to the leaving part. Outside of God, you're my top priority. 
I need to know and have that security that you're prioritizing me in your life. And, and gentlemen, does she feel secure in your faithfulness? You see, men and women have affairs for different reasons. For a man, he usually falls into the trap of affair because someone pays attention to him and honors him and, and uh, gives him sex. So that's why most men have an affair. The woman, on the other hand, has an affair when someone makes her feel special, communicates with her, and connects with her emotionally. And that's why we have to be careful with uh, social media because a lot of times it's not in the office place. Sometimes it's over the computer. We've never met, but there's a need being met in my life. Someone's talking to me and you know, supplying my emotional needs, and, and it, it, it's, a, it's a huge thing today. Um, it's something we have to really be concerned about. Our wives need security in protecting and providing for them. Are you going to protect me? Are you going to watch over me? Are you going to provide for me financially in our family? Are we going to be secure there? That's a huge thing, right? And women need to be secure that, that you're dependable. You're going to work hard. You're going to do what you need to do. Um, you know, Carrie, when we have a project at home, uh, guys, I want to tell you, she outworks me. And it's not that I'm lazy or I don't work. She just outworks me. Now, I do the heavy lifting, but... You know, she's she just, I mean, she just got, she's the ever-ready bunny. And she gets after it. We're, we're doing a mass bedroom, scraping the ceiling, you know, retexturing, painting, uh, setting up a new bed, mattress box springs, and all the stuff. And so yesterday, we, we started on it. It's like 6.30 in the afternoon now. And she says, you know, I just can't go any longer. I'm going to have to, you know, call it a night. And I think, thank God. You know, I'm tired. Uh, you know, I'm encouraging you, don't you need a cup of coffee or something? So, so I'm exhausted. It's like 6.30, and the Sooners are coming on at 7, so we need to stop here. I had to turn them off. But anyway, you, you know, it, it's, it's just, she just keeps going, and she just keeps going. But the realizing that, you know, are you going to be alongside of me? Are you going to be dependable? Are you someone I can count on? That security is huge with a woman. Right, ladies? Here's the second one. Emotional support and open communication. We're going to lump some things here. Um, emotional support and open communication. For a woman to feel secure in a relationship, we have to communicate that love and communicate that faithfulness constantly. You see, what you did last week was like manna falling from heaven. You only gather enough for the day, the next day it spoils. So guys, if you think you're going to ride this for a while, guess what? Not a... I got some points here. It's going to last me for a week. No, it's not. You're going to have to come up with the next thing and the next thing and the next thing, the next secure uh, statement, the next communication, the next encouragement. You see, women are turned on by men who compliment them, not men who criticize them. Women on the whole, women on the whole are really more insecure than men. So we have to feed that security and dispel that insecurity. Um, sometimes Carrie comes to me and she says, well, did you hear what someone said or how they acted or what they did? And, and let me tell you my response many times. How does that affect my day? I'm not going to lose one minute of sleep over that. But women, sometimes not so much, right? It, it does affect you and what people say and how they act. And she comes to me and I said, well, who cares? 
Men, are you like that? Just like, hey, that's not going to affect my day. Case the raw, raw, let them go do what they're going to do. And, and this is what I do sometimes. They're going to act ignorant. Let them act ignorant. Okay, I deserve a better amen than that, but I'll go on. <laughs> so how do we help dispel that uh, insecurity? Well, we, we can do some things. Here's number one. We can provide an atmosphere of affirmation and encouragement. An atmosphere of affirmation and encouragement. And not an atmosphere of negativity and sarcasm. Because that is very much a turnoff to women. So we can be sarcastic, we can think it's cute, we can think it's a joke, but how many of you know it's not usually received well on the other side of the fence? So we have to have that kind of atmosphere. We can also do it by words. We can give that emotional support by open communication with words. Now, Carrie and I have some things that we do, and um, so I'm going to share those with you, and hopefully it will give you some pointers. This is what I do to her every day and sometimes several days, uh, times a day. Have I told you lately how pretty you are? Have I told you today how pretty you are? She always has the same answer. No. <laughs> Have I told you today how pretty you are? No. But I think in the background she's gone. Come on. Just share it again, share it again. So I'll tell her that nearly every day, sometimes multiple times a day. And sometimes in the morning, she wakes up, I'll look over, uh, or I'm getting ready, and she's still in bed. And I said, have I told you how beautiful you are today? And she said, I know you're lying now. <laughs> and, and really, I believe that. I believe that, that that's how beautiful that she is. So I tell her that several times. Uh, here's one of the things I, I share with her. Do you know you're the prettiest girl in the mall today? You're the prettiest woman in the uh, restaurant today. Or you're the prettiest one in town today. And she said, well, that's not true. And I said, sure, it's true. That's what I believe. And now we've started this little thing when we, when we do that, um, that I'll say to her, how does it feel when someone loves you like I love you? How does that feel? And she says, well, how does it feel when I love you like I love you? I said, well, wait a minute. I love you more than you love me. She says, no, you don't. I said, absolutely. I love you more than you love me. And this is what we started doing. And she started. She said, that's a bald-faced lie. <laughs> so now when we communicate, we look at each other and say, that's just a bald-faced lie right there. So, so how do you, you know, support that encouragement and that emotional stability in communication? You, you do it by words. Every woman wants to feel good about herself. She wants to feel good about her beauty, her physical appearance, and, and, and I believe that. So when I'm saying that, I'm not just giving her a line, that's what I actually believe. And men, you need to do that to your wife, and you need to constantly do that, because we can compliment our spouses on several different ways. Not just the physical, but her mind, you know, her cooking, uh, her heart, her character, her motherhood, uh, her service and love for the Lord, her hard work, you know, I'm proud of you. And we can do that over and over, over again. And he said, well, she knows that. Well, if she knows that, keep telling her that. Listen, folks, I, I'm trying to make your life easier, guys. I'm not trying to make your life tougher. I'm trying to make it easier for you. Here's the third way that we, you know, support that emotional stability and that communication by our actions. What do you mean? Well, you know, you can give her a gift, a card, flowers, a phone call, a text. I mean, there's some neat emojis you can just send her and not even say anything. It'll get you a long way, guys. 
Y'all already got this down, don't you? So, you know, you can do it by actions, remembering birthdays, anniversaries, special moments, events, celebrating all of these, special trips, vacations. Um, we used to hardly ever take a vacation. We always felt like we needed to work. I need to be at the church, can't miss a Sunday. And now we have taken a week off every year for the past few years, and we actually take a vacation. And before, it was like a trip to the city or two days or three days, I got to get back, I got things to do. And we called that a vacation. How many of you know that wasn't much of a vacation? So I realized there's finances, there's work involved, but you do what you can do, and it's going to get you so much better in your relationship. Now here's the last one, intimacy and friendship. Say this with me, intimacy and friendship. Now let's all say it, intimacy and friendship. Intimacy for a woman looks different than a man, okay? Um, men for us, intimacy is usually sex. <laughs> I'm up here so alone. <laughs> but I'm telling you the truth. Intimacy for us is usually sex, but not for a woman. She'll come along and say things like this, would you just hold me? Could we just snuggle for a while? And ladies, let me share a little insight for you. If we haven't had intimate relationships for a while, days, weeks, months, and you come up with this line, could, could you just hold me for a while? Can I give you a man's point of view? We haven't eaten in 14 days. And a double meated cheeseburger comes along and says, would you just hold me for a while? <laughs> That's what it feels like. Somebody say amen. amen. Thereby get the picture. You will never look at a cheeseburger again the same way ever in your life. So you're looking at it, ladies, from one way. We're looking at it from a whole different perspective. But here's the reality. Women need intimacy. They need friendship without the sexuality sometimes. They need non-sexual intimacy. They need our time. They need our attention. They want us to listen, not fix it. Because this is one of the things we do, men. We, we hear it. We want to fix it, right? We're fixers. And, and there's sometimes Carrie's come home from the hospital and told me things and, and sometimes I want to be the crusader to go fix it. And she says, I don't want you to fix it. I just want you to listen to me. And so that is feeding that emotional support, that communication, and that is something that we can all do. Now, two things that we're going to leave uh, this morning. But the marriage that you have should be a reflection of your spirituality. The, the marriage you have should be a reflection of your spirituality. Because we take that back from the verses we read in Ephesians 5. He talks about the husband and the wife. Then he talks about what? Christ and the church. So he, he has taken Christ and the church and then our marriages and gave a similar view of both of those. And if we do it right, we are showing in some way the spirituality of who we are. A hor Someone said a horrible marriage is, is two masters being married together. A great marriage is two servants being married together. So two masters being married together is 
One is wanting the other to meet the needs, but not willing to meet the other person's needs. Two servants together means both people are trying to meet each other's needs. So we, we get in this awful loop, and we mentioned it last week. Well, when he meets my needs, I'll meet his needs. When she meets my needs, I'll meet uh, her needs, and, and, and nobody's needs ever get met. So we have to defer to one another. And that's why the Bible says you're not your own. You're bought with a price, but it also applies to marriage. You're not your own. The other person has access to you. You have access to them. And so it should be a reflection of our spirituality. Now, here's the second thing. How we conduct ourselves in marriage is being, being observed every day by our children. How we conduct our marriage, how we provide security, how we give that intimacy, that friendship, how we do those things is a reflection to those who are watching. We're reflecting all these things to our children. Now, here's a, here's a question, guys, for you. Would you want your daughter to marry a man like you? Would you want your daughter to marry a man like you? And hopefully, all of us are going to say yes. But if we're being abusive, if we're not being loving, if we're not being uh, intimate, if we're not being uh, uh, communicative with our uh, spouse, then that daughter is watching what it looks like for a man to be in a relationship with a woman. And if she goes out and gets someone like you, would that be a good thing for her or a bad thing for you? And would it be a bad thing for her and a bad thing for you? And I think the latter is the right answer, right? So we want to make sure that we're showing our daughters this is what a husband looks like. This is how a man treats a woman. And on the flip side... Ladies, we want our sons and our daughters to know what it looks like to be a good wife and a good mother. So is that being reflected to them? Are they seeing that example? Because this is what we don't want to do. We don't want to go out and have them marry dysfunction. And if we're dysfunctional at home, that's all they know. They see that modeled every day. So we have to be careful that if we're doing some things we shouldn't be doing, we need to stop that and say, I got to get this right because I have some little eyes watching me. And even today, even though Carrie and I's boys are grown and both married now, they're still watching us. How we deal with difficulty, how we deal with things, how we pursue our spiritual life, how we operate as a husband and wife, because they're stepping out and they're trying this on their own. So we have to be careful. Number one, it reflects our spirituality. Number two, it also reflects what our children are seeing, and we have to be careful with that. Now, let's tie this together. Since the Word of God says this is like Christ loving the church, there has to be sacrificial love. And guys, sometimes you just have to defer. Um, Ronnie was telling a story this morning, and he said he told his son, sometimes you just have to lose. You just choose to lose. How many of you know you can win the battle and lose the war? Y'all are so holy. And his son says, Dad, I don't believe that. That doesn't make sense. About a few years after his son was married, he said, Dad, you were right on. <laughs> How many of you know it has to work out in practicality? So there has to be sacrificial love. And here's the last thing. There has to be sacrificial leadership. So when you lead, you're not leading just for you. 
You're not leading for what suits you. You're not leading for what benefits you. You're not leading for what you get out of it. How many know you're leading for the entire family now? And sometimes that sacrificial leadership is that, you know, this is not just about me now. This is about the entire family. This is about the prioritizing of my wife, my children, all the things of our family. So I have to have sacrificial love. I have to have sacrificial leadership. And when we do that, then we're modeling and we're conducting ourselves in that biblical model and your life will go so much better. Folks, I'm going to show you something. This is the manual for life. So the needs that I shared with you did not come from Glamour magazine. It came from the Word of God. And if we do what's right, it will work. And you young people who are not married yet, if you'll listen up and go into marriage with this in mind, your marriage will be so much better. I want to share something with you as, as I close. We have a family here, and I'm not going to mention their name, but one of the daughters went to a, a Christian university. And uh, she did very well there. She came back and told me this story. She said, Pastor Mike, I'm at a Christian university. I won't mention the one. But she said, there's a lot of pastor's kids and missionary's kids, a whole, you know, thousands of young people there. And I said, how are you doing in, in school? She said, I'm doing great. She said, I, you know, I have good grades. I'm really doing good in the classes. And since so some of the students came to me and said, how is it that you're doing so good with all these questions and these biblical stories and these principles, and, and we're struggling. And this is what she said to me. I just listen to my pastor every Sunday morning. That's what she said to me. She said, I just listen to my pastor every Sunday morning. So all this stuff that you think is new, I've been learning all my life. Isn't that amazing? Folks, the Bible is the model, is the principle for a happy life. And if we, if we follow that, your life is going to be so much better. We, we can help meet one another's physical needs, emotional needs, but nobody can meet the spiritual need in your life like Jesus. Amen. We can partner together with that, but I can't meet that need. Husband one, two, three, four, five, shacking up with another guy. Listen, these guys aren't going to meet your need, hon. You need living water, and they don't have it. I got it. They don't have it. Can I hear an amen? amen? Give the Lord a hand clap this morning. We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you were encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory, and hope changes everything.